Hello and welcome to the Workful Woman podcast. I'm Christina, your host, and my guests are people who operate at the intersection of science and spirituality. It is my great pleasure today to speak with Rod Bravo. Rod Bravo is a physician in training, a medical entrepreneur, a consciousness researcher, and a Harvard alumnus degreed in neuroscience, holding an impressive variety of roles. He is also a Reiki master plus biofield medicine practitioner, emotion coach, former director of drug development in cancer biotechnology, and is currently chief of staff at Supermind, a mental health focused company using innovative neurotechnology to boost the mental and emotional health of thousands. His work involves healthcare reform, health tech, and innovating the allopathic paradigm with consciousness-based medicine. Rod has a radical backstory of healing via application of mind-body medicine, biofield sciences, and psychoneuroimmunology that he will share more about in this interview. Rod found his personal enlightenment and cured himself of major disease with the help of science, consciousness, and spirituality. Now he helps others achieve the same. Rod, welcome. It's great to have you here. Christina, thank you so much. I um I really can't say anything more than the the wealth of gratitude I have for the opportunity to share a little bit about my story, where I've come from, and um with really hopes that it may be able to serve anybody else. So thank you again. Likewise, I'm so grateful to have heard part of your story already and for you to be here today to share it with our listeners. Now before uh, I dive into my questions, uh, Rod and I thought that the best way to kick things off would be by having Rod define three key terms that you'll hear him mention when he shares his radical story of, of healing. These are mind-body medicine, biofield sciences, and psychoneuroimmunology. Now, Rod, could you briefly explain these terms for our audience? Sure, I would love to. Um, so mind-body medicine, biofield sciences, and psychoneuroimmunology is really a culmination of hundreds of years of investigative science that people like scientists have been doing in order to sort of understand each of the disciplines independently, like psychoneuroimmunology, psychology, neuroscience, neurobiology, immunology, like how are these kinds of things related? You know, a lot of physicians and people in healthcare and scientists are realizing these are very interconnected terms. You can't really affect one with medicine or a condition like a diagnosis without affecting the other. So for instance, psychoneuroimmunology is a field of study that really analyzes the inextricable link that happens between our mind, our beliefs, our emotions, our psychology, how that actually translates into which maybe neural circuitry, which sets of neurons in the brain are active during certain emotional states or during which thoughts we may be having and how the subsequent chemicals that the brain produces because of the activation, the differential activation of different sort of circuits in the brain, it produces different hormones that, you know, it um, calibrates, for instance, the blood in the body. It, it modifies it and all of your cells are just swimming in this bath of your blood. And so by changing and affecting your emotional states and your thoughts can affect the neural circuitry of your brain, can affect hormone output, which then can actually have subsequent really wonderful and powerful effects in your immune functioning, your protection against cancer, your defenses against a variety of medical conditions. Biofield sciences, by extension, is really looking at the science like the biophysics 
that explains the hard science behind things like Reiki, um, quantum touch, healing touch, those, those more intangible elements that they say more sensitive people can kind of feel like energy waves, but it really is based off of biophysics. And it's a science of how our whole body is kind of like an electrical field. And anyone who's taken, you know, physics one knows that whenever there is any sort of line of electricity going really any direction, it also emits a magnetic field. So it's electromagnetic. We are electromagnetic beings. It's no secret. A lot of electricity runs through our bodies. And so it's also a proven fact that we have spaces that's kind of surround us that are kind of like our electromagnetic fields. And science is now really being able to come up on the reality, empirically based reality of how we're able to really modify and affect and have interchange between energy that we maybe output from our hands into other people's biofields. Um, so you could think of biofield sciences in one aspect as the science of Reiki. How is it possible like physically speaking? And then mind-body medicine is sort of another extension that really falls, I believe, under this sort of like umbrella where this is sort of like the realization that much of our human ailments can really be traced back to mental, emotional conditions, um, trauma. Um, the Center for Mind-Body Medicine is actually a wonderful institution based through a couple, I believe, um, in Washington and the University of Arizona, uh, which is where I was doing my medical degree. Um, and uh, it was created by a wonderful colleague of mine named Jim Gordon. Um, and mind-body medicine is essentially, it's a field of medicine that explains, or, or it really teaches people in group settings how to work through a variety of life situations, life conditions, um, many, many even medical diagnoses. But what may be more unexpected is sort of the education on, on introspection, on meditative techniques, and how it's not really like... Um, it's not a very simplistic thing. It's actually a very powerful tool that can be used to really alleviate disease. So there's a lot of vocabulary, so happy to explain. <laughs> Absolutely. And thank you so much, Rod, for starting us off with that. I, I think that will really help us understanding your story better going forward. And with that, um, I'd love to ask you, so if you think of your professional trajectory so far as a book, uh, what uh, would its main chapters be? Okay. Um, so if, if we were to kind of look back at my life as a book so far, I would say that really my professional trajectory, much of what I am doing in the adult world is based off of experiences I've had my entire life since I really was a kid. For I, I would almost say that the experiential or the lived aspect of why I am doing what I'm doing, which we will get into, um, it has to do with a lot of illnesses I had since I was really six or seven years old. Um, so I guess part one would really be my childhood that really gave me the perspective of um, a very sick patient for 10 plus years. Um, I really would say maybe part two moving into that was sort of, um, it was more... Um, where maybe I tried to pursue a more conventional path. And, and this was something that actually really took place starting with my studies at Harvard when I was 18. And um, really how my experiences as a patient going through more conditions and healing through others through very non-traditional means, it really started to create a dichotomy on the road for me because I was educated and being raised to think about 
how science and healing really works in a certain way, but my own life experiences were very contradictory. Um, so part two was maybe more kind of like that divergence um, and finding the happy place, the happy medium in the middle. Um, and then I guess maybe part three, the most radical one would really have been how that whole situation got escalated into me actually being a medical student and me realizing that there was a lot of value and credit, the realization, that's part three, and how um, there is a lot of, you know, where I was saying value and credit and, and what I had experienced in my own illness narrative. And as I've come to see thousands of other people um, and how this was really something that my, um, my, a lot of my colleagues or the curriculum in allopathic MD medicine um, really can't reconcile, really couldn't make total sense of. And so um, these three elements are kind of our work coming together to make what is going to be part four, which, which we'll be talking about. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so we have the experiential period, we have the divergence period, we have the realization period, and then we have the fourth part that we're going to dive in a little bit later. But for now, I love to zoom in a little bit um, on, the, on the divergence period. And, you know, after trying conventional therapies for years with no success, what made you decide to start exploring other medical philosophies and how did it initially feel going down this route? Okay, that's a really good question. I think maybe one way to help maybe listeners and the audience really be able to grapple with what is other medical philosophies is to maybe just give up again a little a bit of um, definitions here for what is something like alternative versus complementary. What is a medical philosophy, right? Um, simply put, it's really just where in time um, and location around the world did um, a way of thinking about the healthy and diseased body come from. Um, it's no secret that, for instance, in the United States, it's a much newer paradigm of medicine. It's really known as the allopathic philosophy. That's what traditional medical doctors, MDs, study in medical school. And this is something that was really inspired by um, a lot of sort of like the machine, um, the industrial revolution. And that really had to, sorry, it was really around that time, like, um, Cartesian or Newtonian thinking, it has to be like observable that our idea here, or at least in mainstream medicine in the US, began to say that um, all changes are sort of like directly viewable in the body. And um, one part of the system goes out of glitch and it may be fixed with a drug. And that does happen in a lot of cases. There's a, there's a lot of value in, in conditions that can be healed with allopathic medicine. Um, but another medical philosophy really uh, draws on the concept that the body is much more integrated. Um, these may come from traditional Chinese philosophies or Eastern or Near Eastern cultures that are just fractionally speaking, substantially older than the model that we have in the United States have been alive for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And so that medical philosophy maybe is something that draws more comfortably on the idea of elements such as medicine through understanding reincarnation, energy healing, the, the body's highways and byways of energy through acupuncture, a polarity therapy. Um, in years past in the United States, those kinds of medicinal interventions were sort of put more on the wayside. They were first given this term of their alternative medicines. They're not the standard that we have in the United States. Um, really was COVID, interestingly enough, and, and just the sweeping wave of people's 
conditions, a lot of rare chronic autoimmune things that a lifetime on pills is not acceptable for a lot of people anymore, or they're just not happy with the care that they're receiving, they're beginning to ask for more of these more integrative medicine-based modalities. And so that whole almost bucket of alternative medicines has now begun to really adopt the term complementary, where yes, we will accept them. They are adjuncts. So like things on top of what your MD may be prescribing you, like the surgery or the pill, to sort of work with one another. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there's there's another way of people who don't want anything to do with um, the the new, the um, or the old stuff. Um, they want everything to really be based on this new kind of thing. Um, I sort of believe that there are places and times essentially for both. Um, there's no reason I think why medical philosophies shouldn't kind of mingle. Um, but that's kind of how I am sort of going to be interpreting and using the words medical philosophies, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it totally does. How about you? So when you started going down that route, what what pushed you down that path? And, you know, what, what were your feelings, you know, as you as you as you walked along it? Sure. Um, well, you know, Christina, it's it's really funny, but it was a it's a very simple equation. Um, I didn't come at it as as a scientist or a thinker or a philosopher, anything like that. I came at it as a patient, right? And so simply put, what really put me on this, let me explore other things, it kind of was desperation. Um, maybe a bit of an unexpected answer. And and um, frankly speaking, not necessarily the answer that I would wish that most people. Um, require in order to begin exploring other modalities. But, you know, from when I was a kid, my life was in kind of medical jeopardy every couple of months. My kidneys just flat out did not function right. Um, When I was 10, I was told that I would might have to follow up with biopsies, transplants, I probably wouldn't live as long as everybody else. So I like very much grew up with this idea that like, I'm very diseased. that uh there's 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 just that that's kind of it for me like that's that's the cards i was dealt with accept it and so i had like a very strange close relationship with death and the concept of mortality since i was a child i was a very desperate sad person growing up inside there was a lot of like questions that needed to be resolved like why am i even here right um i do think i've come to see i've come to really feel that very few things, if nothing at all, breeds an open mind, like necessity, fear of death, kind of these kinds of things. Um, during my time in drug development, um, and, and we'll talk about this in a while, but that was by day I was working as a drug developer with, you know, you know, pipettes and board meetings and trying to come up with cancer drugs. And by night I was doing Reiki training and energy work in cancer wards at Harvard Medical School's teaching hospital, Brigham and Women's Hospital. Um, and so I, I saw how, how a lot of people had reached sort of the end of what was their expected life ex- or life expectancy or you know stage four, stage five, like terminal conditions mm-hmm. and the chemo and everything else um, just wasn't there yet. And so they're like, tell me more about this. Tell me more about these other things. Um, and a lot of people are really beginning to reach this sort of point of, um, it's unfortunate to say, but the rate of autoimmune conditions and here's your prescription, take it, 
indefinitely, or let's talk about um, condition management, like managing the symptoms, it's not resolvable. A lot of people are really beginning to not really tolerate that. <laughs> they want answers. And I don't blame people for wanting them. I've really been there. Um, but that is essentially and simply put what encouraged me, a very young, left brained, um, traditionally oriented thinker, to to really explore um okay well these are my limits to my life um i guess now i have to be a little bit more open-minded kind of like the what cracks the the nut open right <laughs> yeah thank you so much for sharing that and you know perhaps someone listening to this and listening to your story you know will will they hope if they are going through a similar experience or if they know someone who's going through a similar experience and going back to what you mentioned about people looking uh, for answers not just managing uh the symptoms i wanted to ask you because um when when i learned about you and your work i noticed that you talk about the chronic disease you diseases you experienced as opportunities to heal uh that your body gave you so could you tell us a bit about what you mean by that Yes, I, I love this topic. Um, so, you know, myself included for many years, and like, I think most people, um, when we are talking sort of about a major condition, like we have to beat the cancer, let's let's stop leukemia, and let's, um, let's eradicate a variety of conditions that plague humanity, because they're bad things. Um, they're unfortunate things, and they do cause pain and strife. And it would be nice if we lived in a world where these things didn't happen. I, I used to really think that diseases were like evil to be fought and destroyed. And, you know, it really wasn't until I saw my own grandmother, who was over 100 years old, who passed away a couple of months ago, that I realized, and a lot of physicians, her, her own doctor, her health team sort of communicated that, you know, aging is an example of a lot of things happen to the body and there's really not something to fight against like death was actually the natural successful completion of human life. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yes, it's tough to see. And we can only imagine how unbearable it is to deal with as a family. But this isn't a curative situation. And that really began to, it really hit me, it kind of cemented what I had been thinking for years that disease is not always something to fight or something that is something to make you a victim or to earn you pity from others. It may, a lot of people still sort of think of this sort of structure around disease, but it was really through the exploration of my conditions, where in my body things were hurting, how things were, you know, inappropriately functioning, that I began to do sort of meditations and, and, and therapies and, and techniques that we're going to get into. But it, it forced me to explore my traumas, my psyche, um, those uncomfortable aspects of my past and of my soul that I really hadn't, if it wasn't for my condition or my body very literally signaling where to focus in my body, I probably wouldn't have ever gone through a lot of what you may think of as like Freudian catharsis or um, mind medicine, like mind-body medicine that really empowered my body's immune, immune functioning and um, endocrine and like nervous system homeostasis to really regain its center point and its vitality again pain and illness had fundamentally been my teacher and the gateway for me to be open enough to seek out more profound knowledge and acknowledgement of certain things that were not really in my worldview that really changed my life forever they were tough 
situations and for much of my own conditions, it's never something I'd wish on anybody else. But at the same time, I do recognize how much I was able to grow because mm -hmm. of these kinds of things like disease and illness. It presents, I think, the purpose of something like duality mm -hmm. and how to really understand the good and, you know, your full self. Um, you need to be given an opportunity to understand what it looks like when it's not there, when things are not in balance and it come a good and the bad, you know, <laughs> the contrast. Uh you know, I wanted to ask you here because you you brought up um, the the idea of that as part of the of a process of a natural process, and also the fact that once uh, you started looking for answers for yourself, you gained this openness to uh, try things that maybe a lot of people wouldn't think of as conventional ways of, of approaching what you were dealing with. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the first time that you had a past life regression and if you could share with us what you've experienced and how it, how it actually affected you. Sure. Um, so... My very first past life regression, um, interestingly enough, it was only four years ago in 2018, but it really does feel like a lifetime, if not several, <laughs> will um, have, have really happened since then. Um, my very first past life regression, it really precipitated after a very long and strange series of illnesses that I was having um, during my collegiate studies at Harvard. Um, it was really in the fall and like October, November, <clears throat> excuse me, that um, I began to have a lot of sort of gastrointestinal involvement. Um, I would have cyclical fevers. So fevers that came on very strongly and then just kind of went away. It would flare back up within maybe hours or even days. Um, and they got worse every year, but it's almost just like the initial set of core symptoms just got worse with every passing year since I was about, um, since really I was a senior in high school, but I had grown up with illness, you know, so I thought maybe this is just my body um, doing the, the adolescent evolution, changing chemistry, hormones, maturation, and this is how my conditions and my strange physiology come now. Um, it was it was very particular because it happened at the same time every single year. It was so bad. My third year, I had to leave a study abroad program and, and come back to study. And even then, I had to take the rest of the semester off um, because I lost 40 pounds, couldn't digest really anything. And so I realized that one day when I was older or if I ever had any other condition sort of kind of like pre-existing, because let's be honest, that may have been the case at some point or would eventually have been the case, um, that this was probably going to kill me. And, and it, it came in such a precise timing that even when I left, uh, when I graduated college, so my, after my five years, I had an extra year because I had to take time off because I was so sick. I joined the biotech industry, as I mentioned, and I told my boss when I joined, I'm going to need some time off during that time of year, like six weeks, maybe on Zoom. And I was just met with these like, like looks like, what are you talking about? How do you know that you're going to be so sick? Or what do you mean six weeks? Or what is this Zoom stuff? <laughs> right? This was before, yeah. this was before like remote working was such a norm. Yeah. And just like I had said, it, it came, it was brutal. I could really not properly speak for six weeks. A lot of pulmonary involvement. My fevers were all over the place. And I lost like tens of pounds. Um, 
uh, it was an interesting way to lose weight during, you know, the fat season <laughs> of the holidays. <laughs> um, and so I, I really grew concerned. And so I, I really was, again, I was becoming desperate. I was afraid that um, this condition, it came, my inner circle and my family, they saw it came like on the dot. Mm -hmm. It was very strange. Um, so I reached out to an old mentor of mine. It was someone who I really had been learning from at a distance since I was a teenager. She, um, since I was 17, her name is Jamie Butler. Uh, she is known as the everyday medium. She's based out of here in Atlanta, but she's an internationally recognized author, educator, spiritual teacher. And she's taught me a lot of the fundamentals that I have, um, that I now teach and that I now work with my own healing practice. And that's actually a big part of my medical philosophy. Um, I, I asked her, so she's a medium. Um, she, she can see spirit, she can see entities. She was born with the ability to converse. Um, like we're talking right now, it's really, it's a, it's a, it's a wonder to see Jamie work. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I asked her, I, 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 don't, I don't really get this stuff. I don't fully know what you do. Please don't hurt me. I'm just a sick, I'm a, I was like, I'm a sick kid. Um, I've always been sick, um, but I really just, I need help. I don't know what's happening to me. Um, and I'm afraid that it's only getting worse. And I've been to doctors my whole life mm -hmm. and I never have gotten answers. I don't know what's happening to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so she really did not take long for her to really just take one quick look at me and my energetic system. And she said, you should get connected with um, Dr. Brian Weiss. He's a Yale and Columbia University educated physician who's who is by many regards, and I think so too, is like one of the first modern day pioneers of past life regression hypnotherapy mm -hmm. and how some a, a very common psychotherapeutic technique to help induce hypnosis, um, which everyone gets hypnotized every day by themselves. It's a thing everyone does, but it's a psychotherapist helps you do it in a bit of a controlled safe space for you to maybe use it to heal yourself. Um, Brian just took it one step further and began to have people meditate and remember memories and traumas, emotional conflicts and the like from other lives. It really is like traditional um, hypnotherapy. It's just bringing in a dash of this new realm of science that's beginning to look at is reincarnation real. Mm -hmm. And so I went to go study with him for a week at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. And then this was a couple of weeks out before I could feel my body was starting to do the funny thing in October, late October, early November. And then um, I, I sort of went through the workshops. I started to have glimpses of things in these group meditations and, and just learning from physicians, counselors, and professional clinical psychologists who are all trained in, in this sort of like tool in clinical psychology and practice and then I get back to Atlanta and I booked a session with my friend Lee Lee Morgan who had also studied um, this kind of work under Brian and it was I all of us in, in my meditation um, I all of a sudden saw myself as um, a young 19-ish year old Native American young man and I'm dying um, I have these blotches on my skin I'm burning up um, it was very strange. It was beautiful almost. I, I was like watching a movie, but I was also a character in the movie, a very safe, um, incredibly cathartic emotional experience. And um, over me, I saw my grandmother. She was holding a lantern over me and she looked devastated. I think we both knew what was about to happen to me. 
and it was there was a barn it was lightning out it was a thunderstorm there was a big hay bale to my right and I was you know coming from my background I was absolutely shocked at what what was I witnessing like what is this it was like a I was like I don't think I'm making this up because I was I'm responding to something it's almost like as if you if you're going throughout your day and you're all of a sudden hit with with a dream that you had last night you know how sometimes that happens and you're like oh wow like um yeah, like you respond to it you didn't just come up with it like there was no logic or fitting it was like oh oh goodness i remember that's what it felt like and i was like i i, I don't think i have the creativity to make this up right now it was it was like an incredible hbo movie <laughs> Very and, uh, yes yes um as theatrical and as experiential as a movie gets and um i uh I saw myself die. Um, I saw myself leave my grandmother um, and I felt a crushing, like a literally a soul crushing amount of guilt because I remember our life situation that we lived on this plantation under the, the care of someone who is a little bit more abusive. We were native people and I think he was more of a Caucasian descent and there was just a lot of abuse and interpersonal conflict between our situation then it's just it's just what popped in my head during all this mm -hmm. and um uh I, I believe that that woman um she did end up having a, a really life situation after i passed but in sort of like that in between space between lifetimes you may call it um or you know heaven or wherever you go to um have to reacquaint yourself with your guides your loved ones and what's what's kind of what happens when we're not in our bodies um, I, I was explained that like this is a thing, reincarnation is a thing, um, that um, I had suffered a really brutal emotional trauma I did not get to work through. And that lifetime, it was a lot of guilt and that level of guilt, think about it, like guilt as the cause of disease was so powerful that it was kind of transcending space time and affecting me when I was again, 19 years old in my new body as Rod Bravo and the era of the 2000s and it was manifesting itself again like you're reproduce i was reproducing the symptoms of something like a measles mumps kind of a thing mm -hmm. um but i've been diagnosed i can't have it it's just my body emulates trying to get me to look at something and in this case it was it was uncover a memory uncover trauma for me uncover the truth about how i believe healing can work and how things you know by extension how things kind of work at large um and uh it was it was within it, it was a, it, it felt i felt a very big shift happen internally um i didn't feel something haunting me anymore after that and after i think seven or eight consecutive years of this very timely emulation of this condition um it just completely went away I, it never happened to me again and um, I felt free and it really put me on this path to understand the science, the biology of how is it re how reincarnation may work and how in applied clinical practice, how it might actually be able to resolve people's conditions. The one that I had was very, was rare, was very autoimmune, multifactorial. It really couldn't be pinned to one body system. I think a lot of people are beginning to figure how emotional trauma, whether from now or some other point, um, or even like an archetype that exists within the mind um, 
can actually be the, the gateway to finding healing for conditions that um, may not seem linked, but the body's very interconnected like that. <laughs> That's incredible. This is such an incredible story. And thank you so much for sharing it. For me, what stands out, oh, there's multiple things that stand out here, right? Like for one, your, your very first past life regression, it takes you straight to what you talk about as what probably was the cause of what you experienced. And this, this feeling of, of guilt and just, you know, it, just the, the awareness of it, you know, seemed to have been enough to, to, to trigger something that, you know, after that, you, you just, it just went away everything that you were experiencing right and I, that's incredible I mean like it's 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 definitely it's so fascinating and it's something that um well you know I for one would love to understand what the, what the mechanism behind that is but you know when you talk about the other thing that stood out was um this idea of well is reincarnation a thing uh, is there something after that you know uh, that space that you described as in between lives um I feel when we talk about anything that may come after that, um, we go into what could be described as well, spirituality, spiritual beliefs. Um, and I was curious, I wanted to ask you personally, how would you describe your spiritual beliefs? What, what is God to you? It's a great question. Um, well, I was raised in the Catholic faith, but um, my beliefs kind of while someone being supported by various portions of the old testament and its references to reincarnation actually mm -hmm. um i would say maybe at this point i draw heavily from buddhist philosophy um that said i don't claim to be a buddhist or um like most millennials any practicing religion um kind of like that um i would say i'm, I'm far more spiritual mm -hmm. than i am religious um from the perspective of professing a faith or maybe like practicing ritual worship like a weekly thing or anything like that um, my meditative practice is one of the most disciplined things about me that i try to do every day mm -hmm. in various ways and forms and that almost feels like it is kind of my religion um mm -hmm. interestingly enough i found that whenever i sort of commune with friends or colleagues who are of other cultures and other religions um that uh, there's a lot of similarities that I sort of have in terms of sort of how people should behave, like very simple rules of quote, quote, goodness, like treating others as you want to be treated or emphasize the life of, of passing it on, of sharing, caring and love. Um, there's a lot of similarities I see between all of these things, but through a lot of sort of my own, um, you know, progression experiences I've had, I've been able to touch on a lot of times that I believe I've lived in where I have been multiple religions. <laughs> and so I kind of see them all as very similar, almost possibly interchangeable. They're just different metaphors mm. through which a person can live his or her life um, to understand what is one concept, what is one path to mm. approach being human. Mm. Um, I, I like to draw from all and, and also there's not one that really encapsulates it for me. Um, if someone were to ask me, like, what is God for me? Um, it's very hard to pin. <laughs> I kind of envision God as both a higher power that exists between, um, that exists sort of like out in the ether that may have some sort of contributory influence on how things play out. Mm -hmm. um, but I also have come to believe that we are very extraordinary human beings 
can really do a lot. It's pretty amazing. And a lot of those sort of godlike qualities are a part of me. Um, so it's tough for me as a human trapped in like a human body to, to say God is all this, but I, I am also aware of the incredible things that I can do and that I am, that I have been and that I will be. And so I, it's, I'd see both as God is the in and the out. It's just like perpetual love. It's kind of like the wheels that run this entire complex system. But um, <laughs> a concise definition of God is, I'll pay you for that one. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a big question. It is a big question, but I think you gave a beautiful answer. So thank you so, so much for that. And uh, <laughs> since I have asked you the biggest question I could have asked you, <laughs> when it comes to spirituality, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, I would love for us to dive a little bit deeper into the science um, of healing. And I wanted to ask you, is there a scientific explanation behind modalities such as Reiki? And um, what scientific disciplines should one look into if they want to understand, for instance, energy healing? That's a really wonderful question, yes. Um, so for this, I would encourage a lot of listeners or anybody interested in better understanding scientific, empirically based, you know, evidence-backed science behind things such as Reiki and biofield healing. Because a lot of people I say, like, I do this or like, what, this is like mumbo jumbo or what's, there's actually a lot. There's actually a lot of centralized research behind this now. An organization known as the Conscious um, Healing Initiative, CHI. Um, this is really a lot of the work by its founder, Dr. Shamini Jan. Um, she's adjunct faculty at the University of um, California, San Diego, UCSD, and she's a biofield scientist researcher. She and several other PhDs and a lot of investigative scientists working in this sort of realm, um, they've produced hundreds, if not thousands of articles at this point, really beginning to grow. Um, Reiki is a practice within the scope of biofield sciences that is really explaining, it's, they're producing a lot of research that explains the biological, the chemical, and the physical underpinnings behind energy medicine, like how the physics of it works, how it's possible to affect a biological system non-locally without a physical touch. Um, as in people after they receive Reiki or like healing touch or something like that, um, you may have quantifiable and observed changes in certain proteins that may be existing in the petri dish or in like um, a sample of their cells of where a condition is happening how did that happen it's almost just like the physical synonym the physical result of something that happened in a dimension that our physical eyes cannot see but as you know scientists are well aware uh, the eyes can only capture a very specific wavelength of the electromagnetic spectrum and so there's a lot even snakes or other animals can see um, like infrared and things like that that is how energy gets sort of like transduced between mm -hmm. symptoms um, so psychoneuroimmunology is sort of like one of those sciences that is really beginning to understand how things like emotion, cognition, thinking styles can actually affect immune functioning. There's like direct changes that happen in the body um, as a result of what you're thinking, how plagued or at ease your mind may be. And like that it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's an extension of how something that we don't think is linked is actually in like incomprehensibly linked and that is something that's happening with um biofield sciences and, and things like reiki and healing touch okay well 
I think because you mentioned this idea of the influence of the mind on the body, um, I'm going to ask another big question, <laughs> because when we talk about the relationship between the mind and the body, and it, it makes me think uh, about the idea of consciousness, right? Like, um, we, we don't really know, to be fair, what consciousness is. I mean, we have a lot of definitions for it. It's a big term, but it's something that seems to feature uh, quite a lot into healing based on what you're sharing. So how would you define consciousness in the context of healing? And the context of healing. So I think in a broad sense, I see consciousness as sort of like the medium through which experience happens, all forms of experience, anything that a human can feel or go through consciousness is really what allows a separation of going from this moment in time to this moment in time to that, mm -hmm. um, to really play out, to really have a story and narrative, the brain as it's evolved right now, it really responds to stories, the stories we tell ourselves, the stories that we see carry out around us. So consciousness is really just like those, um, those atoms that take the form of a person, that take the form of this table that the, the computer is on. Um, they're like more consciously aware. They're aware of themselves. They orchestrate themselves into all these sort of structures and clusters and play out stories for us to live through. It's kind of like a video game. That's kind of what consciousness is to me. It's a video game. Um, and the context of healing, I see it maybe as the driving force mm -hmm. that calls somebody who is in a perhaps a diseased or sick state to maybe want to reassess, go inward and reach a state of more balanced equilibrium in touch with their higher consciousness, what you may call the divine, mm -hmm. or what they may call a healthy or a non-diseased state. I see. So if we look then at consciousness as this driving force uh, calling back into balance, um, looking forward, what do you think will be the role of consciousness in innovating the current paradigm of healthcare delivery? Yes, yes. Um, this is sort of like a wave of how consciousness is evolving and how we're all co-creating it where a lot of people as i mentioned before um my backstory for instance is is the story of, of, of millions of people throughout the world and that number is only getting more intense because of sort of like the environmental exposures and the chemicals and all these things that lead people to have very multifactorial illnesses um the consciousness of a group of people who are sick and they do not want to be sick and their options run out. And at that point, people's bandwidth of acceptability, it broadens in terms of what they sort of may be looking out in terms of treatment or guidance or healing. Mm -hmm. It's through this sort of experience, again, it's this story that then um, people are led to lifestyle adjustments, facing traumas and fears. In my case, they were traumas and fears from, seems to me, as other lifetimes. Mm -hmm essentially reacquainting themselves with very as with various aspects of their whole maybe enlightened selves that they really weren't privy to prior it's like consciousness discovering itself right it's like a bunch of, of of atoms in the form of like people who kind of forgot when they were born they had this sort of like um spiritual amnesia and it's the, the experience again by which it lets us have is rediscovering that about ourselves um, there's a huge wave of people who are really feeling that allopathic medicine, it does not fully serve them. It serves them to great degrees, never get me wrong on that, but it may not fulfill every single one of their 
sort of needs as a patient um where uh, you know when, when we go see our doctors now people fundamentally want to feel validated and loved loved cared for um having sort of like a recognition of their psyche the emotional self and even one's maybe spiritual or even divine needs that's something that is i would say lacking in a lot of components of the medical system because there's been this sort of like separation like the body as a machine and then our emotional loving needs they're they're very much the same but a lot of physicians are not really they don't operate that way um been there <laughs> definitely been in those patient rooms um there's a call for everything to want to be unified you see what I'm saying? Like people are wanting these needs in a, in a, in a in healthcare delivery setting to be unified and have alignment. And that's something that consciousness, like I think naturally strives for. Um, and that's, I think this, what's happening in the realm of healthcare delivery and how medicine is given to sick people, that is consciousness really beginning to peek through the veil. It's kind of like the driving force between this coming together. Oh, that's awesome. Look, if we if we look at this idea of people looking for more unified care um in your professional life you wear a lot of hats um are there ever contradictions uh, between different areas of your expertise and if so how do you reconcile them yes yes um especially early on in the game when i was maybe working as a drug developer by day and then getting a Reiki education and working in cancer wards by night um, when I was in medical school. And then I'm like doing my best. I'm, I'm being a good student. I'm, I'm learning all the data, but then I'm sharing this story that you really cannot discredit a patient experience with faculty or colleagues. And it's almost like the veteran and the senior physicians, they're like, I, I don't fully get it. And I've never been through that. But I do have some patients and people who I have cared for who provide similar stories when there was nothing else for them. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe the younger ones, or other colleagues, they, they really don't understand it, um, or just think it's like quackery or something like that, or having my own healing practice where I try to teach and share about these principles, about um, performing Reiki at a distance. Mm -hmm. Non-local science is really beginning to take root. Um, and then some colleagues calling me like self-serving and I'm like, how in the world is this something that is like serving me? Like everything I do, everything I've lived has really tried to be in service of others. Mm -hmm. um, there have been plenty of contradictions. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, the cure for that is everyone has contradictions, right? Mine just happened to take on a particular flavor. Um, but I think the old adage comes to the comes to mind of really the golden rule of treating others how one really wants to be treated. Um, my grandfather, um, he was a very wise man, and he always used to say, you know, bear bear things with an open mind. Um, even scientists, particularly, come at it with using the head and the heart. There really should be a balance between the two. Um, for me, that really takes on the form of practicing a lot of compassion and recognition that maybe in the past, I have also been a very staunch non-believer, very reliant on something like materialism. So really basing off of science that is all 100% quantifiable or all completely viewable and observable with my human eyes, right? Um, 
there have been times in our history as humans when what we call like modern day streamlines physics science you know biochemistry we didn't have tools mm -hmm. we didn't have understandings it was a lot of guesswork it was a lot of people who were ahead of the curve very edge science and with time came the tools to mm -hmm. be able to show people this is how we can witness this visualize it quantify it mm -hmm. and all of those things that's what's happening with biofield sciences and energy medicine sciences and non-local duality consciousness sciences like edge thinkers know what's up a lot of people have lived it a lot of people want it we just don't have machines apple isn't producing <laughs> something <laughs> to visualize a reiki session changing someone's auric field there are a lot of like technologies that are kind of like scattered and out there but it hasn't really congealed into maybe like a centralized industry or a mass-produced product um you know, there, there's, I've, I have definitely learned that there's a lot that we don't yet fully understand. And mm -hmm. that's, I think, maybe the easiest and simplest thing to, to respond to naysayers or skeptics or questions, right? Contradictions, it comes from people who are like, well, um, how, how do you know? And I'm like, well, fundamentally, anyone who is like remotely expert in, in healthcare medicine, they will agree that we don't know everything. Mm -hmm. um, which in, by necessity requires us to approach things with an open mind. Um, mm. I, I believe in being skeptical and think things until uh, things are proven. I really do. Um, mm. So I'm very, I feel very fortunate to be living during a time when um, this is really coming together in terms of um, publications, scientific interests, speakers, and people with various, very many degrees um, speaking and teaching about this kind of stuff now. I agree. It's a very exciting time. And um, uh, since we have the momentum <laughs> in these times, I wanted to ask you, what do you think uh, would help make the use of these other modalities, such as energy healing, more widespread? Mm. What is it that mm. we need there? So as, as it's happening, um, and as I have seen, one of those things has been time. Um, people are becoming more sick with a lot of conditions that are very multifactorial or confusing. Um, they, it's, it's very hard to pin down. People are naturally becoming um, a lot more sort of like skeptical of their physicians or turning more to occupational therapy or acupuncture or massage or self-care really as the first thing that they turn to before they actually want to go meet with a physician, deal with insurance and all of those things. That is organically happening without really any input from any spiritualists or woo people or alternative or complementary practitioners. Um, COVID, I think, um, was really something that taught people that um, in terms of living a more fulfilled, holistic life, um, being allowed to resume group activity together. Mm -hmm. And really um, striving for fulfilling your needs. That also includes like how how satisfied are you in your like healthcare kind of a thing. And that's something a lot of people are just really ravenously beginning to turn to these sort of other medical philosophies um, and medical institutions. So in the actual brick and mortar places of where health happens, um, it's going to take something like more open-minded program managers, more open-minded regulators. Um, anyone who goes in there really. And that also includes the patients and the doctors um, among the lay people. Um, so like non-scientific audiences, like regular people who work in other industries, et cetera. It might take more and more of people kind of developing issues, maybe like the ones I had and being obligated to explore their options 
and when they may find themselves at sort of the furthest extent that Western medicine can take them and they don't, maybe they don't want to live a life where the rest of their life are on their one prescription, or maybe they don't, they're not satisfied with, I'm going to manage it. Maybe they actually want to be fully resolved and understand root causes. Um, that's something that like I, I, I mentioned a bit ago, would it cracks people open and for the realm of possibility of what other sort of philosophies can I explore? Um, so it's it's kind of a mixed bag in, in, in a broad sense, like what, um, what would help make these kinds of things more widespread? It's happening naturally. Um, but I think change is something that always requires an open mind. Um, and maybe just in general, us being more open <laughs> to, to new forms of science, new concepts and models of how things may actually happen. Um, mm -hmm. we, I think we, we are teetering on maybe this one spot of we, we think we know more or, or we're very confident of what we think we know. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a lot of, there's a balance to be made between between sort of like having your footing and having understood and learned so much about how the body works and producing treatments and then lifting off and taking the next step and being balanced in the in-between before you kind of reach the next era of kinds of medicine, kinds of medical philosophies. Like there's definitely, it's tricky to retain like, what have we gotten right? and how much of it is about to change. It's uncomfortable. Change is not comfortable. <laughs> um, <laughs> <For sure. laughs> so it's open-mindedness globally, I think. That's what's needed. Okay, awesome. I uh, Since you were mentioning um, the, let's say the social disconnect um, that was triggered um, uh, with COVID, um, let's talk a little bit, a bit about healing at multiple levels because you're talking not just about healing at an individual level, but also at the community and the society, wider society level. So can you share a little bit about how individual community and societal healing relate? Sure. So something that I like to, let me paint a metaphor. Um, and this is something that a really wonderful speaker named Matthias De Stefano that he talks about on Gaia and a lot of his own spiritual teachings. Um, humans are like neurons. You know, I, I studied neuroscience. I love neuroanatomy, everything about the brain. Um, think of humans as neurons, individual neurons, and Earth is kind of like the brain. Um, when one neuron sort of like begins to function properly, when I sort of realize what's going on here, how does healing really work? Um, it, I almost felt this Im impulse to share it with others, mm -hmm. like neurons br br um, bridging out, branching out mm -hmm. to others and their community and their network. Um, and so through this, it's almost like through finding my own healing, I now sort of have the ability to heal others, to sort of bring others kind of up to my wavelength. It's, it's very strange how this sort of call, this inner call to share with my family, share with my friends, my, my loved ones, those who are willing to listen, those who are sick, mm -hmm. who, who may want something else, um, reaching them and all that was as it was almost like an unexpected byproduct of me finding my own healing, my own sort of like personal enlightenment of I found something that really works for me, I love to help others find the same for their bodies. Um, and, and at that level, it's very quickly, it's like one neuron wanting to do its very natural function, which is to connect with the others to make a synchronized 
harmonious system um, because when you have parts of the brain that are not you know in harmony or responsive that's a sign that you've had something like a stroke or brain death um, it's not in vitality it's not synchronized really um, I really like the metaphor of humans as individual neurons because they love to network they love to connect they function better when they harmonize with one another and so that's that's kind of how I see um, it's, it's also so, so more practically speaking about what I meant by I heal by healing others. Mm. Um, I, in my own healing practice, for instance, I learn a lot about myself mm-hmm. when I, I, I discuss situations with clients about their medical conditions or what's going on with them. Um, one thing that's, that's a fact about me still is because I grew up with so many illnesses since I was a child, I still have a lot of medical trauma from how scary it was to be a kid and and the things that I kind of dealt with. And so anytime I sort of, I feel like I'm cleaning it out. I feel like I'm excavating it out and like um, sort of like changing, like flooding those memories with a lot of compassion and light and a love for myself when I get to teach others about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it, really, it really does feel as if supporting and teaching anyone else besides me um, that's just a byproduct of me having gone through healing myself and what I need to do in order to kind of feel maybe at peace um, with my past. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, it's beautiful how you describe it just as a beautiful byproduct. Um, thinking about who might be listening uh, to us today, if anyone listening is living with illnesses that seem incurable within the paradigm of conventional medicine, or maybe they happen to know someone who does, uh, what would you like to say to them? I would like to say to them that while I may not know you specifically or your specific condition, um, I'm not saying mine are any way, shape, or form like yours, but I have had my own where I felt that I was in an incurable situation. I felt that I had been gypped out of an extended life or a regular life, um, that I once adopted the mentality that I was a victim, um, that it was somehow my fault, that I was unworthy, um, and that inherently just not as good as everybody else. Um, that's, that's a really big illusion. Um, hang in there your disease is not a punishment or a reflection of your worth really in any way. A lot of times we're taught and, and people say karma or those kinds of things like you've done this, maybe this is why I was, I was just a kid. I had done nothing <laughs> to anybody, right? Um, there is always, I promise you this, there's always something to be learned from disease. If not the patient or the person who is suffering, those around them, when we fall ill, we not only vibrate in the energies of our contracts, our lives, but anyone else who's connected to us. People, a lot of people in my family, especially, they learned a lot about compassion and giving and pain by seeing, by having to all collectively raise like a sick kid. Um, it really was unifying, interestingly enough. Um, and I was the one who gave my family that opportunity. Um, it's merely your body providing you with very strong signals, probably depending on the severity of your condition about what is wrong. And based on where the suffering or the illness or the malady is focused in the body can also give you a lot of clues about what is your condition's emotional root, personality-based 
basis um, behavior based foundations. Um, I would also encourage any listeners who may be going through difficult conditions to recognize that you do not necessarily have to be limited by a doctor's prescription of what you are told, pay attention, in terms of how long you may have to live or statistics that they don't have top of mind. They probably Googled some of it or they just work with a lot of patients. So they have to give generic answers. Physicians' brains are still human brains. There's too much to give precise ultimatums or anything like that. Um, every statistic has an exception, right? Um, there's no reason why you may not be that exception. If you work with that, it's really possible to magnify that reality. I, I believe so. Um, if you do go out in search of help, outside help, sort of maybe like deviating from an MD or something like that to a naturopath or acupuncturist or uh, um, a, you know, hypnotherapist or something like that, um, I would say that it is a huge and common mistake to disregard your physician. Um, remember, they are half the puzzle. I don't typically recommend one to negate their physician or their doctor, rather to include them in your exploration of other modalities and medicine. Remember, doctors have just as much to learn about medicine as their patients do. In fact, once doctors finish medical school, that is never the end of learning. The rest of learning that happens for a physician for the rest of their life, that comes from the people they treat. Doctors learn all the time from their patients. If the system is to become a true synergy, like all different silos happily working together of multiple medical philosophies, doctors also have to learn because doctor, whatever, whatever, whichever physician you may be working with, they learn from their school's medical philosophy. It really, they're going to have to learn about all the others, right? They didn't get it in school, so they're going to have to get it from you, the patient. Um, so that's something that I typically like to say, like, don't disregard. It's not a, it's not a one or the other. Um, allopathic medicine, I believe, is incredibly useful for acute conditions, infection, vaccines. If I'm hemorrhaging out, I don't want a, a Reiki healer. I don't want, I need a surgeon, <laughs> right? Um, stat. Very simple. But if I have something that was very long, chronic and complex, and I tried those things, there's the other. It's not really one or the other. Um, that, those are, I think, some of the big things I would say to, to anyone going through something that's, that's difficult. Hang in there. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, on the same note, if someone uh, were to consider doing something like, say, a past life regression, a Reiki session, or other medicinal modalities, maybe some of which you, you touched on today, is there, are there any contraindications or risks that they should be aware of? That's a really good question. Very important. So past life regressions in and of themselves have never been known to be contraindicated really for any condition. This is something that should definitely be vetted out and scoped with, you know, a practicing psychotherapist, a clinical psychologist should in particular someone be having maybe a very severe episode. Like if someone is hemorrhaging out or they're having like a really intense manic episode, um, something like that. Um, obviously people need to be sort of like in a, in a period of stasis, like in a state of balance or not having any erratic flares happening in order to facilitate a cathartic experience. Like it, it, it can be much more difficult if not impossible if someone's in the middle of a flare up for instance, but you know, PLRs, past life regressions, they should be thought of as tools 
it's rather than a process mm -hmm. as part of an entire psychotherapeutic intervention involving a patient and a clinician. The biggest contraindication is really to have someone overseeing who is experienced someone else who is having a major cathartic release, right? If someone that that's really the part of the integration phase for me and for others I've read about um, there, you re remember the memory, but then there's actually making sense of, of the metaphor, seeing the relationship between how things were and how they are now. That's really where a lot of healing wraps up. Um, and that takes like an experienced clinician to be able to kind of walk you through that, right? Um, it's not really just like, like simple at home passive regressions that you may find on YouTube or TikTok as thousands of young people around the world, like got to do during COVID because Dr. Brian Weiss's, um, regression, there was like the past life regression challenge that swept social media of teenagers <laughs> during this time. It was crazy. A lot, like imagine thousands of young people all over the world, spontaneously remembering their other lifetimes. Um, that could be really shocking for someone who is living in one worldview and they have like this happen, right? Um, so these like simple ones at home, they maybe stand less of a chance of being 100% successful than compared to were it to be carried out in support of a licensed clinical psychologist or psychotherapist who has incorporated this tool, because all you have is a tool. Um, with practice, though, or maybe in conjunction, again, with someone who is vetted in helping people walk through this experience, you can do it yourself at this point, because I've had to do so many for all of my conditions, and it's extremely effective for me, um, I can do it myself. Um, but there's a reason why each session costs like two to $400, because it does take a lot of training and walkthrough for someone to ease you through shocking visuals or a memory that may come up, but it will never really harm anybody. If that's your question, there's nothing it's, you have this, you can't have a past life regression. The biggest difficulty might just be in, it takes you longer or it's harder for you to become hypnotized. But most people for listeners out there, the majority of everybody can be hypnotized to some degree. Mm -hmm. uh, something else like Reiki real quick, if I can share about it. Um, that has never been really shown to harm a participant. Um, however, for my own practice and from many other Reiki masters I have communicated with, um, there are a lot of times when it can feel uncomfortable for the participant or even the Reiki master, the deliverer of the energy, um, if someone is going through a major diagnosis, like a major tumor or like something that's really, really blocked or, or just diseased in the body, um, it can feel uncomfortable because there's a lot of like restructuring happening at the energetic level, pain signals come out from the body, um, but it, it will never like kill or hurt or harm. It can just feel uncomfortable and at times possibly very uncomfortable, but never contraindicated from what I've seen. Um, sometimes after very strong, effective Reiki sessions, I have seen clients of mine, they have like bowel movements like immediately, or um, they may get very drowsy. So obviously like after you've had like, an energetic massage for like an hour, an hour and a half, like you probably don't want to go, you know, working with heavy or intense machinery or doing some intense activity. Mm -hmm. um, but strict contraindication, I really can't say I've ever seen one like that. You know, I think this speaks also to the fact that a lot of these practices in this kind of space, um, they're very like condition agnostic. They can be made a part out of essentially anybody's treatment plan in conjunction with whatever your doctor has going on.
Yeah, that, that's great. Thank you so much for, for, for sharing your insights there. I know that I have personally wondered, for example, about risks, about contraindications. So I, I believe our listeners will, will find that uh, very interesting as well. So thank you again for that. Um, I wanted, um, especially because you mentioned the, the past life regression TikTok trend, right? That's not something let's say we couldn't have predicted that 50 years ago, you know, in terms of where people's openness to, to other medicinal modalities might go. But still, let's maybe give it a shot. And Prad, I want to ask you, if we project like 50 years from now, um, how do you hope that healthcare will look like? Wow. Dare to dream. Uh, <laughs> um, well, Christina, I guess, I guess 50 years from now, um, I, I think the world will be very different. Things are accelerating astronomically, um, exponentially with, with the science behind this kind of medicine and technology, actually. Um, I, I, you know, I hope healthcare in 50 years will really look like it will be a very, very mainstream part of, of healthcare delivery and going to see your healer, your doctor, whomever that you'll have, like your MD, but they'll, they won't work alone anymore. They won't feel that burden and their knowledge will not be siloed to the allopathic philosophy um, where they'll, they'll be working in conjunction with the specialists of a variety of disciplines, whether that may be energy healers or shamanic and tribal and nativist practice healers or psychedelics facilitators. You know, different bodies need different modalities. My body responds exceedingly well, exceedingly well to meditating and doing passive regressions, exploring my incarnation, some other spot. Like I don't like plant-based medicines, like I'm like very, very sensitive to like marijuana smoke and those kinds of things. Um, but some bodies are incredibly responsive um, to things like that. And that's that's coming. Like the era of drugs and experientials that were use ayahuasca and psilocybin, mescaline, LSD, all those derivatives, that's coming. And I, I think MDs will want to work with them. They'll want to work with maybe self-care teachers. Um, because I, I also think that how in my ideal world medicine will play out is going to have treatment and a big major consult with your MD. Um, that's going to be a very small percentage of healthcare interactions. Most of it, most of people's health will be comprised of them working on themselves, mm -hmm. a very self-care oriented model of healthcare. And anything that gets sort of paired on there, um, it happens when things get out of hand. It will always get out of hand. There's always going to be medical issues. Um, but when they go to work with their healthcare delivery or their healthcare team, it's, not, it's, it's a group of people. Um, because in that way, patients don't have to do the guesswork and the legwork of finding a practitioner, exploring a modality anything like that. It's, it's a little bit more centralized and people feel like they're having various of their bodily needs and humanistic and medicinal needs being tended to. Um, it's also unfair, you know, MDs, like one individual caring for all of your health. It's who would ever expect one person to fulfill all of your needs, right? Um, I see it as things coming together, different philosophies working together in, in a clinic or a hospital all in one. <laughs> nice. It's a beautiful vision. And, you know, I, um, thinking of vision and looking to the future and projecting into the future, if uh, you were to be remembered for just one thing, 
what would that one thing be? <laughs> um, it's a big question <laughs> um, <laughs> at this point in my life. But um, if, if all goes according to plan and, and how I would, I would love to see the world improve and grow in the direction of, of unity and love, um, I would love to be remembered for being at least one person who helped to bring medicine into kind of the next era of healing and helping to awaken humanity, you know, saying the term awaken humanity it has a lot of like woo woo undertones. But um, when, when I say that, I really mean it's kind of like teach people and remind people about just really how incredible the human body is mm -hmm. to help to help educate people who don't know the truth about how like I believe the most technologically advanced tool we have is ourselves. It's our bodies. Mm -hmm. um, I did not think that I would overcome so many conditions by doing advanced meditative techniques. Um, that's a really radical technology that didn't need a single battery or electrode or anything. Um, but that's my body, right? But other bodies, I, I feel it, I know it, are, mm -hmm. are just as diverse and capable of doing really amazing things, at least from the perspective of when you are sick, like all the different ways that you can tell yourself you're not. Um, it's, it's there, it's there for the taking. It's just a matter of showing people through their illnesses, mm. like, here's what you have, let's work through it. You'll be amazed. <laughs> mm. That's awesome. Rod, I think we covered a lot of ground today, but I still wanted to ask you, is there something that I haven't asked you that you want to share with our listeners? It could be about your work. Uh, it could be about your personal life, about your insights, anything that you want, but maybe something we haven't covered yet. Okay. Yes. Yes. I think this is like a very simple kind of like a next step um, kind of question. Um, I would love to share that um, a lot of the concepts that I've been sharing today about how medicine is, how patients are, what, what's, what are the trends and the waves happening in medicine and healthcare, um, and sort of like, where is this going? Um, a lot of my academic work and a lot of my own venture work is actually to begin sort of creating these sorts of programs in centers of healthcare delivery and hospitals to actually bring in medical intuitives and multimodal practitioners of medicine to work in conjunction with MDs and patients. That is something that I'm working on right now and I'm hoping to actually have maybe even a physical location going um, in the next couple of years. Um, I know you had said 50 years, but <laughs> <laughs> we don't all live forever, <laughs> at least in our bodies as they are right now. Um, so I would really like to accelerate that and be sort of like bringing it on. A lot of what we discussed, um, at least I and many others in the field are working to make it a real thing, a real place for people to go to now, because we know about it. We know about it. It's a thing. So why not start to make it happen? That That is incredible. And that is such an incredible project. And I just want to say that everything that you mentioned today uh, will go into the episode description. So links to everything that Rod is mentioning, uh, including where to follow him, which he will share with us right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, so a, a lot of work is under construction, I will admit, but you know, I am very findable on a 
places like Instagram. Um, <laughs> it's my personal Instagram. My name is Rod Bravocado. Um, I love avocados. <laughs> uh, that's my handle. Uh, please follow me if um, you so if you would like to do so. Um, Rod Bravocado is my Instagram and any of my private healing work or through um, my private practice in terms of energy work and walking people through the specifics of a lot of the items that we talked on today can be found at www.bravohealing.com. It is through either of these mediums through which in the next probably couple of weeks, um, my, my creative and my strategic team will be unveiling the social media platforms and the actual website that is forthcoming for this much larger venture where we are hoping to really radically innovate the allopathic paradigm and create these sort of new programs and centers of healthcare delivery that we've been talking about today. And this is where I'll be um, sharing about these kinds of items on the website and on my Instagram. That is excellent. So all the links uh, will be in the episode description. So make sure to check them out. Make sure to follow Rod so you can stay up to date with all the great work that he's doing. And Rod, I want you to think, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story, your knowledge, and your wisdom with us today. And I just want to say it's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you to have heard your story, a little bit of your story, both before today and today. Um, and I wish you all the best with your work and with achieving your vision for the future of healthcare. Christina, you're you're the greatest. Thank you. I I really appreciate it. Um, I also deserve you. You also deserve. I want to give you a lot of gratitude because um, in line with people creating the ideas or any of the plans, there is an equal need for mediums and platforms to be able to actually get the word out and tell anybody who listens like this is this is happening these are resources this is science that it's all coming together and so thank thank you so much for sort of like hosting this space where this kind of communication and spreading of the energy can happen <laughs> thank you it's 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 such a pleasure thank you so much <laughs> see you <Rod>. bye <laughs>